0: Let's pray. Lord, we do lift our nation up to you, and especially those men and women who right now are devoting their lives to defending freedom in this world. God, strengthen them. Help them. Help them to know that you are with them. Lord, for their families, we pray for a special outpouring of your grace, that this time would be a time when they see your hand in their lives. Lord, we pray for the families of those who have already given their lives. And this particular day has special memories and some of them very painful. God, again, just pour out your love in their lives. Help them to know that you care, that you have a purpose behind everything that happens and you bring good and beauty out of it. And so, God, as you have made us truly free, We thank you for those who have given their lives to make us free in this world. And we look forward to the day as we will one day be with you. And all war will be over and all violence. And Lord, at that point, we'll discover firsthand what real freedom is. In the meantime, Lord, just give our leaders wisdom, give our soldiers courage. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right. At this time, we'll invite the ushers to come forward to receive the offering as they do go over a few announcements for the upcoming weeks in the future. Vacation Bible School is coming up July 10th and 11th, and they can use people to help out in that effort and volunteering doing different things they're having a meeting next sunday after second service over in the green room which is right over here if you'd like to help there's also a table in the back for vbs information it looks like it's a construction theme this uh, year so that should be a lot of fun information back on the table Uh, our mexico outreach is coming up this saturday the men's conference down in tijuana And so again, if there are guys that want to go along and help out with ushering or security, see Steve Bailey or sign up in the back and guys will go down and do that. There's also the next construction day down in Mexico is the 17th of June. And so you can sign up for that as well. This Saturday we have our... Men's fellowship meeting on Saturday morning at 8, you're invited to that. And then this Saturday evening at 7 p.m., The Married Couples Fellowship is sponsoring a Da Vinci Code on Trial meeting. And everyone's invited. You don't have to be a married couple in order to come. And a man, uh, Sean McDowell, is going to come and share on the Da Vinci Code and give you some information that hopefully you can use to share the Lord with people as they see this movie and know a little bit more about it. Also, someone has given us, Josh McDowell wrote a good little book called A Quest for Answers, The Da Vinci Code, and there are some of those on the table in the back, and there's one more up here. If uh, they're all gone from the backs, first one to grab that one can have it. It's a great little book that just kind of discusses the whole Da Vinci Code deal. June 10th, Saturday, June 10th, we're having our all-church picnic down at Salt Creek on the picnic tables, and it's going to be from 3 p.m. until 9 p.m., and we'll meet at the picnic table. There's going to be a potluck, games, fellowship. Bring food for your family and something to share. Church will provide drinks and paper products. And there are flyers in the foyer. It's a great thing to invite some friends to come to as well. Just a fun time down on the beach. Now, also on the tenth, there's an outreach that some of us are participating in. Down in Huntington Beach at the, on the north side of the pier and they're going to have a stage set up, K-Wave is involved with it and other churches and, and a bunch of Christian bands and it's an evangelistic outreach. And so if you'd like to help with that, mark that off on your calendar, it'll start at 11 in the morning and so you could be there from 11 to you know 3 or something and then head on down to our picnic down at Salt Creek and... So they need people to do counseling, to do street witnessing, to go out the night before and pass out flyers um, for this outreach, to be there answering questions, or they have a group of people who are just going to pray during the outreach, so keep that in mind on June 10th as well. Junior high and high school summer camps are coming up, and so make sure you get flyers and information about those, that's always a great time. Uh, the office will be closed tomorrow because it's Memorial Day, <clears throat> and uh, as we mentioned last week, also I'd like you to keep it in prayer. Um, this week, Thursday night is the auction for the building that we've been looking into, and so we'll just see whatever the Lord has for us. If we, if the Lord gets it for us, it'll be great. If He doesn't, that'll mean He has something better for us, and that's fine too. So we're not stressing on it, but. Um, we're going to uh, see if this is something that God has for us, and we will be going to the auction on Thursday night. So really keep that in prayer, that we will just God will lead and guide and make His will clear in the whole thing. And as I mentioned last week, if you wanted to give money for that to help us with the down payment and just mark it on a check, a building or something like that, and you can stick it in the box that's back in the foyer, and if we end up not getting it, we'll send you your money back, we're not going to keep it or anything, and there are several people who have expressed an interest in loaning money to the church to help toward the down payment. Same thing, just stick a note in and say, you know, I'll loan you this much money, and that way we'll know we have the funds to to pursue it, and, and then, uh, again, you'll get your money back. How, how many churches give you your money back from anything? So if, it's, if it doesn't happen, then no problem. We're not interested in just saving money for something like this. It's, if the Lord presents the opportunity, we'll do it. So mainly keep it in prayer. The auction is supposed to be about 7.30 on Thursday night. Then if you want to find out how it goes, um, just email me on Thursday night and I'll Dave Rolf at calvarychapel.com and I'll email you back and I don't know why I'm saying that but yeah I will it's it's fine just shoot me a little email hey dave what happened and I'll I'll write back and tell you what happened or you can wait till Sunday and and see what happened now let's turn in our bibles to galatians chapter 5 <clears throat> really been enjoying this study through galatians By the way, I should mention also Wednesday night we have our Bible study as usual as we're going through the Bible in the book of Psalms right now. But this study in Galatians, Paul has been outlining for the Galatians the importance of understanding that we don't do anything to get right with God, that God did something to get right with us, that all we do is let him do what he wants to do, and that is save us. See, the Galatians had been told that, yeah, you accept the gospel by by faith. You can't work your way to salvation, but once you get to salvation, there are some things you need to do in order to keep it. You're saved by grace, but you're kept by works. These Judaizers were trying to talk these Gentiles into buying into Judaism as a part of their Christianity, to make the Christian life a life of following the rules. See, that's what the law really was. It was a rule book that you were supposed to follow. And so they came along and said, hey, welcome to Christianity, but here are the rules. You better follow them. And so often, sad to say today, that's the perspective that people have of Christianity. You accept Jesus and salvation is free, but now it's time to get to work. And you better give this, and you better serve in this way, and you got to do this, and there are certain habits that you have that you need to quit, or we just won't accept you. We won't consider you to be a really good Christian until your life becomes conformed to what we say life ought to be like. It's simply legalism. The book of Galatians is written to make it very clear. You weren't saved by what you did and you don't stay saved by what you did either. And in fact, God, as he saves you, wants to set you free. And the glorious truth is, he's doing it all. We don't have to do anything. And that sounds too good to be true, but it's the message of Galatians, and it really is the truth. The reason why it's true is because, I don't care what the rules are, you can't follow them. For a Jew... The purpose of the law was as they tried to follow the rules, they discovered that they couldn't. It was a simple lesson that it took them a long time to discover the truth, that I can't do it. That was the point of the law. But even for people who aren't Jewish, our life before we found Christ was designed for the same purpose. Oh, we tried to satisfy ourselves, we tried to be good, we tried to live by certain standards, and for us, maybe it wasn't the Jewish law, maybe it wasn't religion per se. Maybe it was just, I just tried to have as much fun as I could have and party, and just do whatever it is that comes into my mind, whatever my body tells me to do, that's what I do. But it's an amazing thing, because that didn't work. Didn't work for you, and that's why you became a Christian, because whatever you did, whether it was man-made religion, whether it was following the flesh, whether it was trying to achieve success, whatever rule of life that you had before Jesus was a rule that failed, and that's why you came to him. The rule didn't fail. You failed to keep the rule. And so he's driving this point home, but now as we get into chapters 5 and 6, the plot thickens because Paul begins to apply all of this and to lay out for us how this life really works. Because we hear about, oh, it's grace. It's freedom. He's he's loosing the bonds and he's setting us free. And and we hear that, but then a million questions come to our minds. Well, how do you actually do that? How does this life actually work? Is this feasible? Is it reasonable? And so he begins to discuss through chapters 5 and 6 in a very practical way, here's what a non-religious life looks like. Here's what the Christian life is really supposed to be. Here's how it works. And so gloriously practical as we work our way through this chapter and learn what it is to walk in the Spirit and learn what it is to be truly free. So in chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Stand fast. What that means literally is keep on standing in your freedom. Don't get entangled again in the yoke of bondage. This is important to Paul. As he drives this point home, in the beginning of verse 2, he says, Indeed I, Paul. He's going, look, I'm telling you this. This is important. Get this. This is so crucial. And he says, hang in there and stand fast in the freedom. And don't be entangled again in a yoke of bondage. Now, it's kind of funny for Gentiles to be told not to be entangled again. For a Jew hey, you tried to follow the law, you realized you couldn't follow the law, and so to say don't get tangled up in that again makes a lot of sense. But see, it's not that much different whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile. It doesn't matter what religion you've tried to follow, it doesn't matter what pattern of living, no matter what habits and activities you took on to try to fix yourself, to try to make your life something that seemed like it mattered. All of those things were simply entanglements. So for the Jew, it may have been an entanglement of the law. But here, as Paul is talking to Gentiles, it's not what he's referring to. But he's saying, you remember how messed up your life was before you came to Jesus? You remember how it was just a a tangle of confusion? He says, don't dump that old way of living and trade in a new way of living that's just as tangled. Because I'm telling you, to take on the law is going to tangle your life up as much as whatever it was that tangled it before. I hate tangles. I, I hate extension cords. Because no matter, people have taught me three or four different ways of wrapping an extension cord, but however I wrap them, they get all tangled. I can bet I, I, it looks perfect. And I put it away, and the next time I use it, I pull it out, and it's just a jumble of knots. I don't know how that happens, unless my kids use it. But for me, what I've discovered is I have like three 200-yard extension cords in my garage, and they're all tangled up kind of together. But when I need to use an extension cord, which is usually means I need to go about 20, 30 feet from the plug to the garage door, if I need to use a saw or something, If I get three 200-yard extension cords and really yank on them, I can stretch them about 30 feet. And I'm able to get a little bit of power. And the saw runs slow, but it'll work its way through the wood. For so many of us, that's the story of our life. No matter what we do, no matter what we try, it just gets so stinking complicated. And life is that way. And maybe you remember when your life was so tangled up, and maybe it is right now, where whatever you do only seems to make it worse. Well, that's the lesson that life has to offer for us, that if you're going to do it your way or if you think it depends on you, then God will say, go ahead and then call me when it gets so tangled that you don't know what to do. I learned this early as a young pastor when it comes to counseling. Sometimes people come in with a problem and it's such a mess, you don't even know where to start. One of the first times I, this hit me completely was I was down in the front of church years ago at Calvary Chapel and, and some three people came up, two guys and a girl, and they said, we need to k- talk with somebody for counsel and, and we'd like to do it in private. And I said, sure, come on backstage. And we walked backstage and I thought, you know, man, I've had all these counseling classes and everything. Whatever this is, I'll share a little bit of wisdom and they'll go away happy. So they began to tell me their story. The girl used to be married to husband number one. They were married. They were both Christians when they got married, Christians when they got divorced. She married this other guy, husband number two. Now she's starting to husband number two seems like kind of a nut and husband number one was a nice guy just kind of boring and she's thinking she might like to go back to husband number one and they, so they all three of them said together so that's our story what should we do we want to do what God wants us to do and they had all the scriptures that if you marry somebody who gets divorced and they don't have it's not because of adultery then you're committing adultery if you so they laid all this legal case out before me and said what do we do? I said, What do you want me to tell you? You know. Well, we just want you to tell us that we don't want to be committing adultery. So what do we do? I said, Oh, I have a simple solution. All three of you, stay single, stay celibate. If you don't ever have relations with anyone else, then you're not committing adultery. That's it. Well, they didn't like that idea very much. And <laughs> the next day... <laughs> The next day, husband number two, who was really hoping to get a little more support, uh, came in and, to my office and he wanted to talk to me. And he started getting really angry and violent. Next thing I know, he's standing on my desk. He takes my wood nameplate off my desk and he's swinging it at me and yelling something about Moses and Elijah and standing on the wall and and my secretary hears the yelling and screaming. This guy's, you know, just drools running down his mouth. He's out of his mind. And as they heard the door slam, or really, his head slammed against the door. <laughs> and and then I just tossed him out, told him to never come back. And I see the guy kind of laying there, crashed in a pile of bicycles and stuff outside my door. I thought, I don't like counseling. <laughs> this is so Later on, they went to another church and told the same story that had happened in, in that church. Well, it was Harvest in Riverside. The pastor who heard it said, wait a minute, I want some other people to hear this, and he brought the whole staff in to hear this story, and they just all started laughing. And so then the people thought I must have gossiped to them about it, and they called Pastor Chuck and complained about my counseling. And I just thought, what a mess. Why would anyone want to counsel anyone? You know, you can't straighten your own life out. How are you supposed to do it for someone else? But I learned at that point how complicated life can be, especially trying to fix someone else's life. I realized I don't have all of the answers. But Paul here is saying, do you understand that if you're going to do this, if the Christian life is about you doing the right thing, you're just going to get more and more tangled and life is going to become a bigger mess for you. Now, one of the things I love about this is it tells us that we're free, that we have a liberty that Jesus Christ paid for on the cross. What I also like is when life starts getting too complicated, I have a clue as to what's wrong. I'm maybe mucking it up. I may be the one who is making it complicated because I'm trying to fix something that I'm not supposed to fix. And you go sticking your nose into things that aren't your problem. Oh, it can make a huge mess. There are so many times when I've thought I could help with two parties and I end up with both of them hating me. And I think, why, why did I even try to do that? What did I think I was really going to help? But life for us is supposed to be simple. God wants our lives to run smoothly. Now It doesn't always look that way, but that's what he wants to do. That's his heart. And he came so that we would be set free. And he says, don't get involved in legalism. Don't get involved in religion. Don't think that there are rules that you need to follow because through doing that, you're only going to complicate your life. So you're going to try to figure out what the rules are and how they apply in each individual situation. You ever read the Constitution of the United States? I hope you have. It's a beautiful document. In one page, the whole law of the land. Well, and then they had to add on the Bill of Rights, little 13 extras, and then more amendments that came. And ultimately, I'd suggest sometime, if you want to see complication Go down to downtown Santa Ana and walk into the legal library and look at all those books, every one of them designed to explain the intricacies of the Constitution of the United States. How does this happen? Why do we have professions that are designed just to untangle a little aspect of one part of the law? It's because what we are very good at is making a mess and tangling things up and complicating them. And when we try to fix them, we make them even more complicated. But as God has called us to freedom, it's his desire to unravel all of that, and he needs us to get our hands out of it in order for that to happen. And so this is Paul's exhortation. Now he goes on and says, Indeed, I, Paul, look, I'm telling you this myself, I say to you, that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. Circumcision, that embarrassing right whereby a man was commanded by God to submit the part of him that is the nearest and dearest to his heart the part of him that from which life and love flow forth and god says i want to make a mark on you there the depths of your being the most sensitive part of your life i want you to be long to me and we're going to put this mark on you in order to signify it now What they were saying in those days is, for a Gentile who became a Christian, you needed to submit to the rite of circumcision. And if you don't know what that means, ask your parents later. So how many people do you think, really, if you said, hey, you can give your life to Jesus Christ, you can get saved, just come on forward, and we have a room right through those double doors, first door on the left, and there's a guy with a knife. (laughs) But that's what they were saying. That's what you need to do. And he said, look, even if you go to that length to submit to the law, even if you say this rule that would be the hardest thing imaginable for an adult to go along with, he said, if you do that, you've still got a problem. Because what about the rest of the law? And you may be able to physically submit yourself to this ritual but what are you going to do about all the other laws? And the truth is, if you violate even one tenet of the law, you're guilty of the whole law. You're a sinner if you don't measure up in every area. It's what the people who teach that we need to keep the Sabbath don't understand. It's not just, you can't just pick and choose. When it comes to the law, it's the law. You either do it all or you're guilty of it all. It's as simple as that. And he's saying, so just keeping part of it doesn't cut it. Just coming close isn't enough. The problem is the law will tell you you can't do it all and therefore it becomes of no effect. It's, it's something that if you add it in with your Christianity, you've fallen from grace, he said. It's a choice of either believing grace or taking the law. You can't mix the two. It doesn't work that way. You won't measure up. You can't make it. You're wasting your time. And worse, you're risking your salvation because you're substituting something else for the glorious truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that the good news is he did it all. And so he says, you've fallen from grace if you're trying to be justified by law. Now, there are some people who think, well, we aren't under the ceremonial law, but we are under the moral law. And sometimes they'll define that as the Ten Commandments. Okay, so forget all the sacrifices, forget all the rituals, forget all the, the, the eating food rules and all that, and it's just the Ten Commandments. Really? You, you live by the Ten Commandments? Do you even know the Ten Commandments? If you think you live by them, you better read in Matthew chapter 5 and 6, the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus Christ lays out His commentary on the Ten Commandments. If you really think you're keeping the Ten Commandments... You just pick any one of them. You can't keep it by God's standards. All rules only teach you what a rule breaker you are. That's all they can do. And so he's saying, hey, if that's what you want to do, you're losing grace. You're falling away from what God wants to do in your life. And now then, as we come to verses 5 and 6, he introduces to us three key terms in the New Testament. There are three terms that, if we don't understand them, we'll never figure out how Christian life works. And if we do understand them and apply them, life starts to flow. Freedom will blossom forth when we understand these words. The words are faith, hope, and love. The same words that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter, when he says, now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, the greatest of these is love. He quotes them also over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, I think around verse 3. Faith, hope, love. And so here, as we read these verses, he says in verse 5, For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. So if this is so important, what do they mean? First of all, faith. Faith is a word that means that you trust what God says, that if he declares it, you believe it, that you will count on the fact that he knows what he's talking about. And see, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's, faith is, is a key to being able to enter into a relationship with God as you have to believe what he says. You have to trust in him. Faith for us in this instance, as he says, we wait for the hope of righteousness by faith, and faith works through love. Faith kind of holds it all together. Now, think about what he has been saying and what we've been reading over the last four chapters, over the last several months, and you understand why faith is so important. God is telling us something. Paul is teaching us something that sounds way too good to be true we don't have to follow the rules we don't have to do the right thing God's not asking anything of us except a relationship oh that sounds too good to be true we've learned in this life that when someone's offering something for free there's almost always a catch used to get all those annoying telephone calls for people soliciting and usually they don't call and we still get a few every once in a while but They don't call up and say, I want to sell you something. Quite often, they're offering to give you something. And I used to get this call a lot. Hi, Dave, pretending like they know me. How's it going? Oh, pretty good. I'm trying to figure out who you are. And and they say, how would you like to get an extra $10,000 a month for nothing? And I would always say, no, that's okay. And they go, what? You don't... $10,000, a lot of money, a lot you could do with that. You don't want an extra $10,000 a month absolutely free? And I said, no. And they said, well, why? Why would you turn down a gift of $10,000 a month? And I would say, you know what? I have so much money. I don't even know what to do with all of it, to tell you the truth. (laughs) And I just, I wouldn't even know where to put another $10,000 a month. And so they would start to cuss and you know, get angry and then hang up on me. And after they would hang up and I'm laughing and ha- at their expense and if, if that's you and you're a telemarketer, I'm sorry. But I never once, after I hung up the phone, thought, what have I done? $10,000 a month, that could do a lot for me. I could put it into the Lord's work or buy a jet ski or something. I, you know, it's like, I never felt that way because I knew it was a scam. I knew that no one's gonna call me up and just start giving me $10,000 a month, so I don't really need the details. But see, we get so accustomed to that because the world lies to us so much that when God comes along and says, I want to save you for free. I wanna give you an eternity in heaven and you don't need to do anything to gain it, to earn it, to attain it. I just want to give it to you. We go, oh, come on. I've heard that kind of scam before. What is it really? And then when someone comes along and says, yeah, it is free, but, you know, you do need to tithe. And yeah, it is free, but it really helps if you teach Sunday school. And yeah, it's free, but... You need to drop those habits and you need to stop doing that thing and you need to change this area of your life and it's time to clean up your act here and Christians don't do this and they don't look that way and they don't dress this way. And we go, that feels very comfortable because I knew it was too good to be true. I knew it just wasn't free. What happens? We fall from grace. So faith is something... We have to believe what he says, even if it sounds nuts. Even if it sounds just absolutely, there's no way there's got to be something more to it. There isn't anything more to it. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do that will cause him to love you less. He loves you absolutely, unconditionally. He offers his salvation to you freely. Receive it as a gift, and that's it. End of story. Now, He doesn't leave you the way that you are. He does a work in your life, and we're going to see that. And as we study through this chapter and the next, we'll see what it is to live by walking in the Spirit. We'll see how God works in our life. But if we don't start by faith saying, I believe that what God says is true, then everything else falls apart. Now, hope is the next big word, key word here. And notice in verse 5, he says, through the Spirit, and it's all going to end up being about the Spirit, by the way, as we proceed through the chapter, through the Spirit, eagerly we wait for the hope of righteousness by faith, the hope of righteousness. You know, I want to be right. I really want to be good. I want to make the right decisions, and I would like for people to look at me and And see that I'm someone who is respected and revered and and honored and I want to be good. It's kind of what starts us off in life achieving from the time when our parents would say, that's a good boy, that's a good girl. And we would try to do things to please them. It's the desire that we have for righteousness. It's built within us because we were designed for righteousness. But the law... And our past and our frail attempts at righteousness have left us frustrated and recognizing that we can't do it. And now, by faith, God says He wants to do it. He is going to make us righteous. He declares us righteous and He works His righteousness within us. Oh, how can I believe such a thing? Well, it's hope. It's realizing, it's believing that God is going to finish what He started. Hope isn't the way we use the word. Oh, I hope. Like, but it's not going to happen. You know, when, as we were looking at that building and we figured, what if there are a whole bunch of people bidding on it? Ooh, I hope we're one of them. And then it comes down to there's two and we're like, hey, this might actually happen. But see, with God, believing in Him, the odds have nothing to do with it. We can know because we know He never lies. Hope is putting our faith in Him, and then looking forward to seeing what He is going to do. It's an assurance. It's a sense of confidence. It's the belief that things are going to work out. So I look at my life, and I don't see a lot of righteousness. I look in the mirror, and I'm disturbed by what I see. I look deep within my heart, and I go, oh, yuck. This is bad and getting worse. But God says that I'm righteous, And he says that even though here I am in this flesh, he says it hasn't yet appeared what you're going to be, but when he appears, you'll be like him because you'll see him as he is. And so God declares that the day will come when I am perfect. That day won't happen on this earth. That day will happen in the air when I see him when I go into the kingdom of the Lord, when I enter heaven, everything changes at that point. In the meantime, I am in process. And having faith and hope means God has promised to do a work in my life and I'll wait to let him do it. I will believe that things are going to work out. I'll see that righteousness that right now I can only hope for it. I can only believe in it by faith. But because of my faith in God, I have a hope of righteousness. Now, it takes a lot of faith to even believe that I can be righteous, that God can see me that way, and that He will because He promises. But I'll tell you what takes more hope and more faith is for me to believe that it's ever going to happen to you. To look at someone else and go, is this person ever going to change? See, our lives are messed up and our relationships are messed up. We're tangled in this, in this mess. We have a choice. Do I believe that God will do what he's promised to do? And that means that person that I'm at odds with, whether it's my spouse or my kids or my parents or whoever it is, people at my work or those who I work for or, or people at my church or whatever, can I see that righteousness that God has promised? Or do I just give up when I look at you? It's a horrible thing to lose hope. It's a horrible thing to so desire to see things untangled and then to just decide, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think they will ever change. Or I don't think that I will ever be able to change and to give up hope. But because of our faith, Because we believe that righteousness is all about God doing it, and it's not about us doing it, there is good reason to hope. There's good reason to be excited about the future. It's why, as Paul told Timothy, be ready to give a man to every answer. A man for every answer? (laughs) Be ready to give an answer to every man. And we use that for apologetics, but really, if you read the verse, it's, Be ready to give to every man an answer for the hope that is within you. See, we of all people, because of our faith in God, we should believe that things are going to be okay. I believe that if I'm trusting God, I'll be optimistic about the future. I get disturbed when it seems like Christians are the most pessimistic people on the face of the earth. And they're the ones that are always warning that if this bill passes, boy, all of our freedom has gone. If this person gets elected, we're sunk. Life is over. Life as we know it will be destroyed. If we don't get God's people together and fix this mess, it'll never be fixed. We have to do it. Now, if God has called you to be involved in the political arena, praise God, I'm thankful. But if that is your area of involvement, don't do it in a way that makes it sound like we're in deep trouble and getting deeper all the time. God is not in trouble. My faith gives me a hope that I believe our best days as a nation are ahead of us. Our best days as a church are ahead of us. Our best days as families are ahead of us. I have that hope. And you go, well, how can you believe that? We're circling the drain. No. I don't believe that. Why? Because of my faith in God. Because I look at him, and he says he can do anything, and I think, man, no matter how tangled this world gets, that's a good thing, because people are going to give up, and when people give up and realize they can't fix it, when they throw their hands up, God goes to work, and I have great hope in him, I believe, now, you go, oh, but what if we lose our freedom? What if they pass a law that says, as Christians, we can't write off our tithes from our income tax? What if they even say, you can't meet in a building, and we have to sneak around and meet other places? Oh, wouldn't that be devastating for the church? No, it'd probably be the best thing that could ever happen for the Church of Jesus Christ. Throughout history, the most thriving spiritual times were times of great persecution. That's when Christians get the strongest. So I feel like, you know what? If all of those scary things I read on those conservative websites are true, hey, there are good days ahead. Really? I have hope. I know whatever happens to this world, God's hand is going to be in it and He will bring about His righteousness for us. It's all about Him. The worse things get, the more people will figure out they don't have the answers. And when we quit... That's when he starts. That's when the Prince of Peace ultimately fixes everything. And we can't do it for ourselves. And I pray that God would give us the faith to have the hope like that in every area of our lives. That when we look at that person that we can't get along with and we see this is such a mess and I can't fix this, that we would remember the God who says, I give righteousness for free. My grace is sufficient for you. I am a specialist in untangling messes that other people make. Do you believe in a God like that? And if we believe in Him, then we should have hope. And people should look at us and go, what is the reason for the hope that is in you? And we should be able to explain it. It's not because we have a great plan or we have all this great intelligence on what's going on behind the scenes. It's none of that. It's because we know God. And the more we know him and place our faith in him, the more hope we have in the future. The less pessimistic we become, the more excited we are to see that day when God unveils his righteousness in us, through us, for us. When I look at myself and I become frustrated, I ought to remind myself of who God is. And then with those eyes of hope to look and see myself as he sees me, and see that righteousness that is being revealed and is going to be revealed. That's what it is to trust God, to say, you know, the only righteousness that's going to be here is going to be his righteousness. The only fix is going to be his fix, and I know he will be right on time. But the problem with hope is it implies that you have to wait for it. As he says, through the Spirit, eagerly we wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. I don't like to wait. We were talking about this Wednesday night in the study when there was a psalm that talked about waiting for the Lord. We sang a song this morning about waiting for the Lord. I don't like to wait for anyone, but especially the Lord. I think it's bad to wait for Anne, But God, to him, one day is the same as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And, and similar to that, but I would say more... <laughs> <laughs> because when she wants me to do something it's right now but when I'm waiting for her warming up my car you know honking and it doesn't help I've had to learn she has her own timetable and if I'm going to get along with Ann I just better let her go by her timetable it's the same with God only even much more so it's one of the ways in which I see God in my wife there are a lot of ways but <laughs> this is one of them that sometimes the best thing you can do is just to wait because he knows things that we don't know and God's not in a hurry and, and that's, a, that's a good thing because we need to learn to wait and that's what goes along with faith and hope is wait. It's why the trial of our faith works patience. Learn to wait. The reason that, you know, you wouldn't be mad at your spouse because of the way that they are if you knew they were going to change next Friday. If you knew all of a sudden, you know, wives, your husband's a pig, he's leaving stuff laying around all the time, can't pick up after himself, won't even put a dish in the dishwasher. But if somebody came to you and whispered in your ear and said, something's going to happen Thursday, and from Friday on, your husband will never be a pig again. You would like, let the stuff stack up. It's just a week. Boy, how glorious when when finally this changes. But the truth is, ladies, the guy's not going to change between now and Friday. And you might have to wait. Wait for God's righteousness to be revealed. Wait for God to do a work in that person's heart. And those of you who are intolerant with yourselves need to learn this about yourselves. You're not just going to change overnight. God needs... Time. For some reason, it's not that it takes him time to do it. It's that he has perfect timing. And so as a result, he chooses to allow us to wait sometimes. So do we wait with hope? Or do we give up and just be hopeless? Do we just go, forget it? Now, it'd be better for you to give up than to try to fix it yourself. To be on this reform program yourself. Because giving up is the first step toward believing that, wow, maybe God is going to do something. But for us in our lives, if we believe God, we need to be willing to wait for Him and to know that He's a good God and that He will cause all things to work together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So we've got faith and hope. And then in the last verse that we're looking at today, verse 6, In Jesus Christ, circumcision, uncircumcision, doesn't matter. Avails nothing. But faith working through love. Love. We're going to see it later in the chapter as the fruit of the Spirit, as the sign that the Spirit of God is working in our lives. It's love. Jesus talked about love as, well, they asked him about the law and how complicated it was. And he said, really, forget the whole, all the technical things of the law. Really, the law boils down to this. Love God and love your neighbor. Later, he just boiled it down to, this is my commandment, love one another. That's it. Love is that simple quality that the Spirit wants to do in our lives that will ultimately not only untangle the mess that we're in, but love will allow that change to happen in our lives to where we see God working. And as we love, we'll find righteousness happening automatically. Our heart is changed. Our motivation is changed. When you love someone, it changes everything about your relationship. When you really love someone, hey, it's almost like they can do no wrong. But you are on your best behavior when you're expressing love. And God knows if we are going to change, it's going to be because of love the Spirit of God working in our hearts. Yes, it takes faith, and yes, we need to have hope, but all of that comes down to love. And as we read the rest of Galatians, we're going to see him illustrate that and drive it home in many ways. But I like it because it simplifies it. The Cliff Notes. If you do everything else and you don't have love, it profits you nothing. It all comes down to love. And could it be that that's really the only commandment we need to have in our arsenal? Could it be that it's that simple? Yeah. Oh, how could that be? Well, have some faith. And you'll see that it does. It's the key to everything. And you know, you can can be so smart. You can have all your theology down pat. And you can study really hard and get really good at a lot of things. And you can work hard and have the most successful life anyone ever imagined. And if you don't have love, it's not even going to matter. On the other hand, if you have love, you'll be surprised what people will forgive in you. You'd be surprised what they'll overlook. And you'd be surprised how, as the Spirit of God works, as we walk in the Spirit, that that love that we have ends up turning our life into what we always wanted it to be, but we didn't even have to think about it. It just happened automatically. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? Sounds like an oversimplification. And I can hear some of you who are going to line up on me today and go, but don't you think you ought to say also that this? And don't you? No. No. This is it. This is the truth. This is what we need to understand to live the life that God has designed for us, the life that he's called us to live. And what he wants you to experience is his freedom and his liberty. And don't let anyone take that away from you. Stand fast in that liberty. Jesus died for that liberty. You are free. Don't let anyone put rules on you Don't let anyone insist that here's what you need to do and here's what you need to be. Don't ever again do something unless you're a kid because that's how we learn about rules. But as an adult, don't ever again do something because you feel like you have to do it. Get in touch with the Spirit of God working in your life and He will cause you through His love. Righteousness will just flow forth naturally. It's what happens. It's the fruit of being in relationship. So you're not loving enough or you have sins in your life that you're struggling with. Go back to the source. You can't fix the sin. You've tried. It doesn't work. What you need to nurture is that love relationship with God. You need to get up close and personal with Him. Understand how much He loves you. Understand how He can work and flow through you. And when we do that, you can tell. It's like a burden was lifted. It's like things are untangled and right again. But hang in there and let God do that work. Don't be so quick to jump back into religion if you think relationship failed. It takes time. So have faith in God, have a hope for the future and allow his love to be the rule of your life and you won't go wrong. And I know that's a scary thought but that's where faith comes in. Believe that God is telling the truth and see if it doesn't work. This is the life that works. The life of freedom, the life of faith, the life with hope, the life walking in love. And over the next weeks, we will see more and more what that means in our lives in a practical way. Let's pray. Lord, it is so easy for us to entangle ourselves. And all of our attempts at reformation, all of our attempts at untangling, just seem to make it worse. God, we don't want to just give up. We want to let you do what you want to do. Give us the faith and the hope and the love so that we can see your righteousness developing in our lives, so that we can experience personally and intimately what it is to be truly free. God, we're sorry for trying to live under the rule of I can do this. Lord, we want to let you do it, all of it. So set us free. Untangle things for us. And God, I pray that your love would just flow forth from our lives by your spirit in a powerful way, in a way that changes everything. Lord, help us to get this. We need it desperately. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Let's all stand.